What's up? Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Homewrecker Podcast. Yeah. yeah. You like the way I said that? The Homewrecker sure. Podcast. Is that how you said it? Something like that. No, probably, probably different that second time, but I was trying to be more obnoxious. But anyway, welcome, everybody, to the Homewrecker Podcast. How's that? Better? Yeah, because that's all I want to do is be obnoxious for <laughs> I hearers wasn't and watchers. trying to be obnoxious. All right. Just try to have a little bit of fun. But this is the show where you and I, we, we were the Homewrecker podcast because we like to wreck and shatter conventional wisdom and ways of thinking by bringing alternative viewpoints and different subjects to light in an attempt to not only change the thoughts and feelings most people accept as reality we try to obliterate them completely. So, I am your host, the Golden Greek, Alex Arion, joined as always by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing wife, the lovely certified hypnotherapist, Monique. Hello. See, I got, I try to get everything yeah, in that time. I forgot intelligent. <sighs> Damn it. Remember last week we said, yeah, all right, I'll try to remember okay. at the end of the show. I apologize for that. He was like, do I ever say you're intelligent? And I'm like, I don't think so. Well, you are. Hey, right? but I'm, Just, you know. I'm trying to add to you. I'm trying to build you up even more so repertoire. every time. Yes, because I'm I'm just the golden Greek and anybody listening is like, so? What does that even mean? Like, why, why are you the golden Greek? But you're beautiful, gorgeous, amazing. Like, if people don't know that I used to be a wrestler, then they're, they're not going to, they're going to be like, why is he calling himself that? And even if even so, why is he still calling himself that? Jeez. Yeah. You're golden. Right. You have your gold in your beard. Your golden keys. Greek keys. That's right. My beard has gotten so long, I'm now putting beads in it. Mm-hmm. Anybody watching right now is like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? I don't know. I don't know. I just like to have fun. And that's important. And this creation here that I'm wearing currently is not mine. This is not my doing. It's the lovely young lady sitting next to me <laughs> who uh, likes to get her creativity out on me. And well, I'm just like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. I explained it's to cool. him, I stopped coloring my hair two years ago. And so that was part of, like, I would always color my hair different colors because that was part of my creativity, coloring my hair. And that I was your creative to, outlet? Yes. And what, what wacky color can I make my hair this week? Yeah. All right, and then. Now that I'm not coloring my hair anymore, I need to do something creative with hair another way. So I'm doing it with your beard. There you go. Fair enough. So thank you for holding that space for me. Sure. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> and for and for being gutsy enough to just do it and yeah. not care. Right? Something exactly. like that. I got to put myself over somehow. So, so I'm going to call some myself gutsy. Some let like, their little daughters like <laughs> do their beard in certain ways and their hair and he just lets his wife... <laughs> Yeah, we don't have any, I don't have any daughters, so yeah. the, my wife's going to have to 
do her girly stuff on my beard yeah i guess so anything <laughs> else new with you aside from your beard uh, my beard no your stylish beard my stylish beard i i fasted again this week for mm-hmm. another i almost went five days but i decided actually today i'm like you know i'm just gonna eat today wasn't hungry i, I told you i'm not mm-hmm. hungry i just kind of want to eat today yeah and i ate and i swear like the first like i had some uh i always break my fast anytime i go more than like a day i always break my fast with a like a big mug of beef bone broth mm-hmm. and i'll put like some collagen uh, protein powder in there i'll mix that in and, and then uh i'll drink that down and like within 30 minutes of drinking i was like just wired it was weird mm. like it wasn't like it was there wasn't caffeine in it or anything but it was just like my body getting nutrients is like whoa yeah what's going on and i felt great the last four days yeah again i had my initial hump that i went through like around the 32 34 hour mm-hmm. mark that lasted for a couple hours. Then after that, I was fine. It's great. I told you I had a, I had a workout yesterday where I worked out and I was I was exceeding my uh, my poundages from last week. I'm like I'm fasted for three days. How am I stronger? This makes no sense. But well, I told you because you put your you mind in that you're going to do it, so you did it. I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. mind is a powerful thing. It is. I say that all the time. Yes. So no. Aside from that, nothing really new with me other than that and i'm sure anybody listening or watching is like you don't eat good for you <laughs> but hey, uh, teach that, that that is my life now it's my excitement is is all the different things i can do with my body <laughs> challenging myself with uh different ways of eating training and all that stuff yeah. but that's my world yay fun Woo. Yay. how about yourself my lady um what's new with you my plants are growing my seedling, my seeds are sprouting. As they're want to do. Yeah, it's they, just they so grow. cool. Like seeing it, it's like, whoa, it got bigger. Whoa, it got bigger every day. It's it's really cool. So I'm excited about that. I want to give a shout out to Dylan on YouTube. I this Dylan. guy is awesome. Like he's always commenting, responding, and we get to have conversations. And he he has good insight and perspective. For so sure. we love that. So Dylan, what's up? Here's to you. Thank you. And also to Chrissy, Chrissy on YouTube. Love you. Hi, Thank Chrissy. you. Hi, Dylan. Thank you, guys. We love you. Thank you. And everybody else who doesn't take the time to comment, and that's cool. We love hi. you, too. Hi to you as well. And our hearers. Yes. We love you. Just a big love fest. Yes. Well, that's what it's all about. Anybody that wants to spend their time listening or yeah, watching us, I'm like, thanks. Because I'm just a goof. We both are. We Kind of. I mean, we, we do try to, to bring some insightful topics yeah. and conversations and, and things. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're spending your time listening to us, thank you. We really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So this week, unless you have anything else you'd like to talk about, no, we'll I just get, get right into, into it. it. Yeah, we'll let's just get right it. into it. We're going to be talking Missing 411. We've done a bunch of these shows in the past, mm-hmm. and they're always just very... I like doing the shows because it really every time we do them and we and we examine certain cases, it, it's like I get new questions that pop up in my mind and 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 it really gets me thinking in different ways and trying to figure out the mystery of these missing folks that go either missing or they get found in their unexplainable circumstances and 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 so yeah I I enjoy doing these because they're just. I, it's a, it's a mystery that you want to solve. Yeah. 
And it like scratches that itch of, I got to figure out what the hell's going on with this. I got to figure it out. And so, just to spread awareness that this stuff happens. Yes. That's and the other we're going to be talking about some more recent incidents. And again, it's it's not like these are all just from like years ago. This is still, this stuff this is, is still happening, happening today. Still today, yeah. And if we can talk about it and maybe learn from things from these books by David Politis, then, you know, maybe it'll increase our chances that if we're out somewhere, who knows? I'll tell you now, I, I'm very, if we're going into the woods or anything like that, like I'm, I'm very, very much, especially when we're with our children holding hands, like everybody has to be like, nobody right, wanders off. Everybody has to be like within like arm's length away if we're walking and we're not holding their hand. Yeah. Because of just the stuff that we're we're finding out in these books, and just the way that a lot of young children—I mean, ch- people of all ages—but especially the young kids that go missing—it's like it, it. This definitely makes us made us change the way that we act when we go out into the woods now, and and I'm even sure, like if we go for a hike, telling people where we're going, right? You know what our plan is. You know what time to probably expect us, because you know he even says it in his books how it's so important to communicate. Where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. Telling people like when you should be expected back. Yes. So I think it'd be good to, for anybody that doesn't know about missing 411 and what constitutes a missing person case to fall into the category of missing 411, I thought it'd be a good idea to just kind of briefly talk about what most of these cases either have some of these components and that's why they're classified and they're and they're documented in these books that David Politis writes, where he compiles all these different unusual missing person cases. Uh, they they have some of these traits. Uh, some have more than one. Some the time of disappearance will be uh, any time of day. So it doesn't. There's no actual like set time that you find a lot of these disappearances occurring. They they occur at all times of day. The profile points. Uh, a canine cannot find a scent. So you'll have a canine go to find somebody. They'll they'll have, you know, an item of the person's and then they, they, they can't find a scent. Or it'll just, they'll follow, find it, follow it to a certain area and then it just kind of, they just stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, also it comes up a lot where canines have searched an area repeatedly and there's nothing there. And then later on they find the person in a spot where canines searched and people searched. Right. Yeah, when people are found. I was I guess I'll skip that part. Yeah. Weather. In the vast majority of cases, uh weather is a significant has a significant impact on the uh the rescue or recovery of the victim. So somebody'll go missing, uh, a search team is is notified, they're they're going to go out but all of a sudden it'll start raining really bad or it'll start snowing really bad or just really strange weather type of events uh seem to happen and occur. And it's very strange just almost because like, of the timing of it. Yeah, almost like the like weather is trying to stop people from finding Correct. missing people. Correct, yeah. Victims found either with missing clothes or missing shoes. Sometimes found alive, thankfully. Uh, other times, not the case, but their fa- their shoes or their, or their clothing will be found and uh, their body will be found much later. But it there, it never makes sense as to why they would have removed their clothing or their shoes. And another thing that I've pointed out in, pre- in um, a previous Missing 411 episode that I noticed a trend of is a lot of times when they're found deceased, they're face down, which right. is kind of just like given all the weird circumstances, they're also face down. So 
Yeah, they're, they're not always face down, but... The majority. Like, so, yeah. Disability or illness. Sometimes some of these uh, folks that go missing will have uh, some type of a, either a mental disability, be it uh, hearing, speech impairment, autism, anything uh, like that, uh, or, or a physical disability, whether it be uh, you know, like a bum knee or something like that, just something, anything like that. And, and that will be hearing issues. I said hearing, didn't oh, I? Oh, sorry. I, I, thought I said hearing. You might have. Oh, okay. But anyway, yeah, a disability or illness, uh, sometimes those folks tend to be the ones that uh, you'll, you'll find a lot of them missing that had an issue like that. Uh, lack of memory for people who are found. They cannot remember what happened to themselves. They're, uh, for younger children, they can't communicate it because maybe they're just too young and they're not verbally able to communicate what they went through. Uh, for people that are a little bit older, they just have no recollection at all. Almost like, I guess you could like it, it's a missing time when people, alleged alien abductees and things like that, they report missing time and not knowing where they were for a certain amount. It's kind of like the same idea, so... Very, very interesting when, when that occurs. Boulders and granite. A lot of people found, or, or excuse me, go missing. Uh, the most significant cluster of missing people anywhere in the world is in Yosemite National Park. And that happens to be one of the locations in the world that has a high concentration of granite. We're here in the granite state of New Hampshire. So that makes me very nervous now when I go into the woods. But- yeah, a like lot of, what? like, there's not a lot of incidences that, that documented. That we know of. That, yeah, documented. So, yeah, very interesting there. Swamps and bogs, a lot of missing people located in the middle of swamps or bogs, which is usually a very, I mean, why would somebody be in the middle of a swamp? Yeah. And I mean, and these are people, bodies that are found there, you know, obviously deceased after the fact, or people that are have been found alive, but they're in the middle of a swamp. Or in the middle of a bog, a lot of young kids mm-hmm. that go missing are found there too. It's very strange. Point of separation is another uh, key point in these uh, disappearances. It's something that was identified several years ago by Politis, and, and a lot of his uh, readers actually helped to call attention to it. Uh, when two people decide to part company, he says that uh, essentially when two people lose their pl- uh, lose contact with each other mm-hmm. i guess that tends to be the time when or if there's a group and somebody trails behind yeah, somebody or trails off, behind or go goes or goes off ahead yes mm-hmm. uh those those so it's almost like they're being watched and like the minute they get alone or they're they're vulnerable i guess you could say it, like somebody who's up ahead and nobody from behind can see or somebody who's in the back and nobody in front could see that they're they're vulnerable now so they could be snatched if that's what's happening if you know what I mean, like if that if say it's like Bigfoot, we'll say if if that's what's happening, mm-hmm. they've been watching all along. Now they see the vulnerability, they see the the opportune moment, and boom, they snatch him. If that, like I said, if that's what's occurring, or they're being led away, uh, something calls to them and they're led away, and nobody notices them until it's too late. And by the time they notice that they're missing, it's who knows how long they've been missing for. So yeah, that's that's a lot of the uh, the points that classify a case as missing four one one. They're all just very, very strange and unusual. Yeah, it's 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 very unfortunate, some of the stories that you read about. Obviously, there are some that have happy endings because the person is found, yeah. and they're unharmed, and they're okay. Uh, but the ones where 
sadly they're either found deceased or not ever found at all. Uh, those are the ones that are just, they're very troubling because you just, you never get answers. You know, the families don't get answers. They, and obviously they want to know what happened. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we're going to start today. We're going to, we've, we've selected four cases. Actually, you went through and selected these four. They're, they're very interesting. I think we'll have uh, some good conversations surrounding these. Let's get into it. Do you want, you want to go first? Sure. All right. Why don't you read first? We're going to read about. This takes place in Nevada. It's regarding Jacob Beatler. Jacob went missing July 27th of 2016, around 6 p.m., in Ruby Mountains, Nevada. He was 20 years old when he disappeared. Some of the phenomena that occurred regarding this case were weather, missing clothing. He was a hunter, and there was hypothermia involved. One of the most, and this is quoting the book, one of the most ironic parts of my research is the unique person persona of the people I write about. I do not specifically look to document just healthy, polite people. I look for a profile behind the disappearance. It seems very odd that the vast majority of people I write about are nice, wholesome, God-fearing, polite individuals. Why? I dug deep into the background of 20-year-old Jacob Beatler, who was raised in the small town of Spring Creek, Nevada. Just three miles south southeast of Elko. The city boasts a population of over 12,000 and claims to be the bedroom community for people working in the greater Elko area. The Beatler family was a staple of Spring Creek. Joe and Rhonda had raised a daughter, Miriam, and a son, Jacob. Joe was an environmental specialist for a local mining company, and Jacob had graduated from Spring Creek High School. The 20-year-old young man had played youth soccer, worshipped at Ruby Mountain Bible College, and even played the piano. As with many people I know, he specifically enjoyed the challenges that were brought by stalking deer and elk for archery season. He wouldn't just go out and try to find the game that first day of the season. He was smart. Jacob went into the mountains and scouted sites where the deer and elk were holed up. It made that first day of the season a bit less challenging. On July 26, 2016, Jacob Beatler told his family that he'd, been, that he'd be getting up at 5 a.m. the next morning and driving just southeast of his house to the Ruby Mountains and to do scouting for deer and elk season. He said that he'd be back that night. The morning of July 27th was almost perfect for scouting big game. It was a bit warm, but that made being in the sun at elevation comfortable. Jacob woke on time, dressed out in his camouflage hunting gear, and headed for the Rubies, a short 12-mile drive from his home. A hiker in the Rubies reported seeing the young hunter on a trail during the day of the 27th. This was the last confirmed sighting anyone had of Jacob alive. Joe and Rhonda Beatler were expecting their son home at about 6 p.m. The night of the 27th, he didn't arrive. They were nervous that entire night, hoping he'd walk through the door. By the time the morning of the 28th arrived, they called law enforcement and reported Jacob missing. The Elko County Sheriff took the lead on the SAR for Jacob. SAR is search and rescue, by the way. They started looking on Ruby Dome, and then went towards Harrison Pass when they heard from a hiker indicating that they saw him. They later switched towards an area near Wines Peak. The sheriff 
brought in an aircraft from the from the Nevada Division of Forestry, U.S. Navy, and the National Guard. They flew grid patterns over the mountains looking for anything out of the ordinary. They saw nothing. Jacob took his cell phone with him during his trip. The Ruby Mountains are a fairly narrow stretch of land with roads on both sides. If you were near the top of the hills, you should have reception. The sheriff attempted to ping the phone and did not get a response, meaning it was either off or the battery was dead. During the time that Jacob was missing, the National Weather Service had issued an unusual summer hazardous weather outlook with a chance of thunderstorms and heavy rain. Strange for a desert that has 100-degree weather during the summer. Articles indicated that search efforts were called off temporarily when weather hit the area August 4th. Dozens of search and rescue members, volunteers, and other professionals, along with trained canines, spent over two weeks looking for the 20-year-old. On August 8th, the sheriff announced that the search and, refu- search and rescue efforts would be scaled back. They had covered every possible area they imagined he would be and came up empty. Ruby Doan has an elevation of 11,387 feet and is barren rock. And the vast majority of the mountains, as is the vast majority of the mountains in the area. There is not a significant amount of large trees or ground cover, but there are many small lakes in this range. The ground and views in this area is The ground and views in these areas are awesome. Nothing happened on this case until there was an August 14th article on KENV News. Quote, archery hunters found several items belonging to missing hiker Jacob Beetler, including boots, clothing, and a wallet with his driver's license inside. End quote. It went on to say they were found in a crevice in an area described as a cliff. There was no mention of seeing Jacob anywhere in the area. The August 27 to I'm sorry, August 22nd, 2016 edition of the Elko Daily had these details of what search and rescue found when they went into this area where Jacob's belongings were found on August 13th. Quote, his body was recovered by the Washoe County Sheriff's Office High Altitude Rescue Team on August 16th near Birch Creek on the eastern side of the Ruby Mountains. Beetler 20 was found a few hundred feet from his belongings, said Under Sheriff Rob Sup. End quote. The article also stated that it did not appear to rescue crews that Jacob had any broken bones and he did not have any clothing or shoes on. Within several days, the coroner made a statement that Jacob did not break any bones on the supposed fall and apparently died of hypothermia. There was no other explanation. It was reported that hikers had last seen Jacob on July 27th near Harrison Pass. It then stated he was near Wines Peak. The line of sight distance from Harrison Pass to Birch Creek is approximately 20 miles. Is someone implying he hiked that distance? If Jacob had been standing on the ridge looking east towards Birch Creek, he could see the valley and Ruby Valley Road below. I have written about dozens of cases where authorities throw around the term, quote-unquote, hypothermia, loosely. Either the victim did not have the opportunity to develop hypothermia because they were not in the elements long enough before they started stripping clothing, or the temperatures were not that cold. 
in this instance, nobody wishes to give Jacob the brains enough to realize that when it started getting cold, you start dropping in elevation where it immediately gets warmer. He was raised in these mountains. He knew them like his backyard because they were mostly in his backyard. If you wish to believe that hypothermia was the reason he stripped his clothes, how about his boots? Have you ever tried hiking across the razor-sharp rock at 11,000 feet? It's brutally tough on the feet. The coroner never released the date or time of death, just the cause, hypothermia. We are led to believe that Jacob fell down the cliff, was not injured, decided to lay on the ground and die from hypothermia. He was just two miles from the roadway, directly east of him, down the valley following Birch Creek. He was an outdoorsman who knew water flows to the valleys, that that was the direction to humanity and safety. Remember this saying, local reports for local consumption. The local sheriff will not release their reports, and he put in parentheses, I requested it. We don't know what they wrote. I can tell you that the coverage of local media never questioned anything about the details associated with Jacob. I feel deep compassion for Beatler fam- for the Beatler family, knowing they lost such a great young man. That's insane. That's messed up. Like, yeah, what? Yeah, you'll find that often in these cases. Hypothermia, like he said, they 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 use that often as a cause of death and. It in it, 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 in a lot of cases where it just makes no sense. I mean, he goes hunting. He knows that area. Right. Yeah. It's uh, very bizarre. You think, okay, did he hit his head and he got disoriented? But there was no signs of trauma. If there's no, yeah, if there's no bruising or contusions or bumps or anything like like, there was no broken bones, and and they assume that he fell. A great distance. How do you fall and not have any signs, any physical damage on your body? Like, how does that happen? It it just yeah. It and just then I'm just nothing's no broken, sense. but I'm just gonna lay here. Yeah, I'm just gonna lay. Right, exactly. So even if he did fall, he's not gonna attempt to move. Because again, if he that? fell and he was unconscious, wouldn't they have seen something in the autopsy showing? You would think like contusions to the brain or something. Anything, uh, again, we, without seeing the autopsy mm-hmm. report and not and not knowing exactly what they and found. why wouldn't they give the date, the day and time of death? Again, it makes who knows? me wonder. Like, like if it, it makes you, it makes me think they're covering something yeah. up. Do they know something? That's where I. That's where my mind always goes to is that they know, or they have an idea of what's causing this. And they just, they realize that it's nothing they can do anything about be, because why else would they act in the way that they do? Then why not just tell I feel people? Like, I feel like it's one of those unspoken things. Like they, they know and it's kind of like an unwritten rule. We know, but we're not going to tell anybody because either people will freak out or, or whatever, whatever the rationale is, but... I don't know. I, I, I that guess, just it reeks a cover up to me when we hear this kind of stuff. I guess I wonder if they started spreading the word like a rumor. You know how like stories like, oh, this place is haunted. Be careful going here. Yeah. What if they they started spreading it like a rumor, so that way it gets the word out, but it's not confirmed. At least you're you're trying to get it out to people, and then I don't know based on the reaction. 
part eventually of me, tell people. Part of me wonders if it is now and again, this is just spitballing and completely throwing random stuff out there. What if it's like something to the effect of, you remember that movie Cabin in the Woods? Yeah. Where they have the kids that go out and they do, mm-hmm. they put them through all this horrible stuff in order to sacrifice them to the whatever, the God, the God or the giants or whatever they are yeah. at the end of the movie. What if it's something like that where they know they being the the national forest service or 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 whatever the government whatever they whoever they quote unquote are they know what it is but they know that they cannot do anything about it they can't stop it and they know that it whatever it is needs this these people needs the souls or the whatever i don't know i again i'm just throwing stuff out there they just know and that's why they don't do anything about it because it's kind of one of those things that's always been there it's like a uh some, something that's just always been and they don't do anything about it they'll go searching sure but they they don't warn people about it because the, the, it's kind of like a natural selection type thing where it it's gonna happen no matter what so we're not gonna do anything about it to interfere because it's not our place to interfere and anytime we can run interference by just uh, omitting certain details in a case or leaving a couple of details out when we write our report so people don't ask questions or or maybe ask more questions and we're very vague whatever the case may be but maybe if they they just know this is what it is we don't know exactly what it is but it must continue to occur but- and we can't stop it, so we're not going to try to cause a panic. We're just going to let it be. But why do some people? Not everyone is dead, and then like I said, we have natural brains. selection. I, I think, like I a, said, natural selection. I think a more likely cause. I I could see it's our own government taking people doing experiments, and that's why people will go missing for a certain period of time. Could be that too. They're doing an experiment, so that's why they're not there when it was first searched, and then they either drop them off or they die during the experiment. Or maybe it's just depending on what they do, they die. And Could whether they keep too. it, depending on the results, if it's so, if a body is so traumatized that there's no explanation for, eh, well, we can't put that one back. So uh, we'll just keep this one, get and we'll dispose of it. Like that is a more likely scenario kind of possibility. <laughs> okay, sure. But. Why would that be any more likely than what I said? No, I know. Do you I'm just know saying, anything that's going on in the forest? Based, I don't. Based on that thought, that <laughs> made mean, me think that would be more likely. Oh, fair enough. But I mean, that's the thing with with all these cases. We don't know. Yeah. Nobody knows. And and there's not hundreds. There's thousands of these, yes. and they go back to the. I mean, the the earliest ones. I think the politest wrote about his book were like the late 1890s. Yeah. Who knows how long this stuff's been going on for? And and he's just constantly and now as as the phenomenon grows and the the, the missing four one one, his work gets more notor- uh, notoriety, gets more popular, more people find out about it. He's getting more people sending stuff in that maybe before didn't realize that a missing person case that maybe if, to a loved one or or someone in their town or something, they didn't realize it had a classification now they can say this is this fits all the criteria and it's like another one that gets tossed in and you're just like what the hell's causing all this the government thing that you said okay i can totally see that and if not the government maybe some type of a corporation 
or a company that's doing these clan, you know, some yeah. clandestine operation that's that's doing some kind of experiments. Sure, I absolutely can mm-hmm. see that as a viable thing too. I don't think it explains all of the cases. I, 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 but again, I don't have anything that does explain all the cases. Some people say Bigfoot, okay, but does Bigfoot explain the ones that happen in the city? Because mm-hmm. we don't, you don't necessarily typically hear about Bigfoot being in the city. I, I don't know. That's the thing. It's there's so many. Just is it aliens? I don't know. If you believe in aliens, is it a little bit of everything? Who knows? Is it a little bit? Yeah, but that's that's just it. It's very <sighs> bizarre. Yeah. So do you want to read the next one, honey? Sure. Let's go to. The great state of Oregon is where this one took place. Stephen Reed is uh, the person we're going to be reading about here. He went missing on June 23rd, 1999 in Salmon Butt Trailhead in Sandy, Oregon. He was 24 years old when he disappeared. A, A butt? Butte? Butte. If I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. I don't live in Oregon. And so I'm just doing uh, the best I can. I'll say butte, so it doesn't sound funny to you. How's that? No, I just, I thought it was pronounced butte. But, I could be totally butte, wrong. If you know, let us butte. know. I'll say butte. All right, and again, I'm, I'm reading right from the book here. Sometimes I do things that surprise myself, and I have no idea why I decided to do it. In the thousands of cases of missing people that I have reviewed, you can count on one hand the number of times I have proactively contacted a victim's family. When I first started into this arena, I called a couple of missing person organizations and explained what I was going to do and wanted to understand where the landmines were in their world. I found that each group told me that if I was writing a book about the disappearance, Do not reach out to families as many will feel as though they were being re-victimized. I listened carefully to that advice and it's been on a very rare occasion that I'd make that call. I can remember reading the thick file that the Clackamas County Sheriff in Oregon sent to me on Stephen Reed and for some reason felt a need to phone the victim's family. I made the call that changed my perception of this disappearance. I want to thank Hope and Larry Reed, Stephen's parents, for their patience and support in helping me put together their son's story. Stephen Reed was a kid that was destined for the medical world. He showed brilliance at a young age and indicated intense interest in medicine. When he was 12 years old, he asked his parents for a book, Grey's Anatomy. He wasn't a very athletic young man, but showed interest in karate. He practiced for years to become a brown belt at age 13. He asked to take the black belt exam and was told he was too young. At the age of 14, Larry and Hope sent Stephen to Boulder, Colorado, so he could spend time with his aunt. He enjoyed the trip and specifically talked about climbing a few 14,000-foot peaks. It was the first time that he had seen the big mountains of the Rockies. Great grades bring good schools, and this led Stephen to Albion College in Michigan. His intellect took over. School seemed easy as he made his way through a biology degree. He was Phi Beta Kappa and Summa Cum Laude and accepted into Wayne State Medical School. His dream had come true. The first year in medical school is always one of the toughest for any student, but he made it look easy. He was awarded a summer internship at the Mayo Clinic, a very prestigious summer job. He completed his second year of school, took the medical school tests, and passed. 
It was the first time in six years that Stephen had time off for himself to enjoy a well-deserved vacation. He told Hope and Larry that he wanted to travel to Oregon and look for possible residency, checking out Oregon and seeing the wildlife. The parents gave him $500 in cash as a gift for doing so well in school. Hope told me that one of the things she remembers telling Stephen was to not go alone if he went hiking in the woods, words that would later seem prophetic. On June 19, 1999, Stephen flew into Portland International Airport. The next stop was the Rent-A-Rec car counter, where he was able to get a Chevrolet Cavalier for his travels. He then drove to the Portland Youth Hostel and paid for 13 nights with his credit card, according to law enforcement reports. On June 20th, Stephen called his parents on a cell phone they let him borrow, indicated he had arrived, had lodging, rented a car, and all was fine. The manager of the hostel stated that Stephen was often gone before many of the people woke up. The manager said that he was last seen on either June 22nd or 23rd, but wasn't sure. He stated that it was early evening when he saw Stephen dressed in a suit and a subsequent conversation centered about if his residency interviews went well. He reportedly had a meeting with Legacy Emanuel Hospital. Stephen had passed his second-year medical exams and now could start applying for residency programs. His life was on track. This was the last time the management had seen Stephen. Sometime between June 19th and June 22nd, Stephen had attended a back a Bach, B-A-C-H, Bach, Bach. Bach. He had attended a Bach concert in Portland. There was also a receipt for a book he purchased during this time, quote, God is a verb. Other than the few locations and contacts documented here, Stephen's activities during this period are unknown. On June 22nd, he drove the Chevy Cavalier from downtown Portland 25 miles southeast to the Salmon Huckleberry Wilderness and completed a trail permit to enter the Salmon Butte Trail. He parked the car at the trailhead and hiked into oblivion. I want all potential hikers to read this next paragraph. Trail permits from the United States Forest Service are designed for one thing, to understand the number of people impacting the wilderness. The pass is not so the United States Forest Service can initiate a search when you don't come back on the date indicated. The truth is that the permits are sometimes stacked in the box for weeks with nobody reading them. On June 23rd, a man and his female friend were hiking the same area as Stephen. When they entered the Salmon Butte Trailhead, they had seen the Chevrolet and thought it had to be a day hiker. When they came out, they were concerned that the vehicle was still there. They looked through the windows into the car and found there was a considerable number of items on the passenger seat, meaning that the driver entered alone. The pair re-entered the wilderness, searched the area, and found nothing. These people felt so strongly that something was wrong, they called the Clackamas County Sheriff and asked them to check on the vehicle. The sheriff sent a deputy to the trailhead that ran the registration on the license plate, and the car came back registered to a family who the deputy called and left a voicemail message with. 
that family did contact the deputy and stated the vehicle was sold to Rent-A-Rec. It was at this point that the system started to fail Stephen. This is the first opportunity for search and rescue to jump on the effort to locate him promptly. Stephen was supposed to be on a return flight to Detroit on an American Airlines flight July 2nd. Hope and Larry were anxious to have him home safely. When it was determined he wasn't on the plane, they called the Portland police and tried to file a missing person report. The Reeds advised me that they were told that the police would not take the report unless they were there in person. They made the decision then to fly to Oregon. Ten days after Stephen Reed hiked into the Salmon Huckleberry Wilderness, the first searchers walked down the trail. The Clackamas County Sheriff had obtained the assistance of search dogs, search and rescue teams, and a helicopter from the National Guard. There were reports that searchers faced rain and wet weather conditions while in the woods. The reeds were both on the site of the search at this point and watched as it evolved. They told me that they were highly upset over the attitude and quality of the work performed by the Sheriff's Office. They said that the volunteer search and rescue members were outstanding. They also stated that one search and rescue member privately told them that there was an old man in the woods that had lived in the area for many years and everyone knew it. They believed that there was a possibility that he knew something about Stephen, but nobody knew where he was located or where his camp was located. This is one of the many hints and leads that were forwarded forwarded over the years. Canines never traced him down if he was in the area. Searchers poured over the butte for several days and then approached the family with the evidence they had. Nothing. It was mutually agreed, per reports, that the search was over. Reluctantly, the Reeds obtained some of their son's belongings from the vehicle and hostel and headed back to Michigan. Hope Reed had a friend they knew that, excuse me, Hope Reed had a friend that knew a psychic. She called her a reflexologist. This person supposedly had psychic ability, and in early September of 1999, the Reeds and this psychic flew to Portland to go to the trailhead. Reports indicate that on September 9th, Clackamas County Deputy Chris Nolte and United States Forest Service Ranger Jeff Jacqua met with the Reeds and their psychic to walk the trail. Here is one of the paragraphs in Deputy Nolte's report. The name of the psychic has been redacted. Quote, Throughout the talks I had with, name redacted psychic, they described the area they were seeing as being very high, in altitude, had cliff faces with large jagged rocks from the cliff face, end quote. It was the psychic's belief that Stephen was in that specific area, but where was that? The day ended with the psychic stating that they did not feel anything from the regions they had visited. On September 10th, the group met for the second day. Here is what a paragraph in the law enforcement report states about what the psychic told the deputy, quote, the psychic told me that she accompanied the reeds up the trail to a point where the trail makes a switchback. At this point, on the west side of the trail, down a cliff, 
one will see three trees in a teepee type fashion laying on the ground. In and around those trees, a pair of glasses belonging to Stephen Reed will be found. Near where the glasses are is a water bottle, also belonging to the subject, end quote. There were other details, but they are unimportant to the story. It is at this point that the facts of this story differ significantly from the sheriff's report and the Reeds' version. The report says that on September 12th, a search and rescue team put members over the side of the trail and into the area identified by the psychic. The searchers spent over two hours searching, and they found nothing relevant to Stephen. The report says, quote, Upon arrival back at the trailhead, I spoke at the Reeds, who were visibly disappointed. In talking with them, they both agreed that the area where the psychic had seen and described was well searched by the teams. End quote. When I spoke with the Reeds, they informed me that the psychic had clearly stated that search teams would need a metal detector to find the glasses. They claim that deputies knew the tools that were required and did not utilize them the day the search and rescue team members searched the area. The sheriff's department had gone into the wilderness after the first search and rescue attempt and had utilized cadaver dogs and additional searchers. The canines did not find anything related to Stephen and this second attempt was abandoned. Search and rescue search maps forwarded to me in the sheriff's case file show that the grid search focused on the area immediately around the trailhead and a very confined zone near the main trail. There were incidents where some caves in rural, rural, rural zones were covered. Various search and rescue reports indicated that they searched areas with 50 to 70% effectiveness. Their numbers, not mine. The exact location of the trailhead is approximately seven miles southwest of Mount Hood, a place I have written about because of the numbers of missing people. In earlier Missing 411 books, I've drawn an association between missing person cases in the Pacific Northwest and huckleberries. Is it just coincidence that Stephen vanished in the salmon huckleberry wilderness? The search for Stephen Reed was destined for failure from the start. You cannot initiate a search for anyone 10 days after they are expected out of an area and think there will be success. During my conversation with the Reeds, they were very vocal in their displeasure with the law enforcement officials and what they claim is their attitude of not being as concerned as they should be. There is no doubt in the minds of anyone who knew Stephen that he was brilliant. He was headed for a stellar medical career until something happened that destroyed his life and the lives of relatives. Hope and Larry had told me that after four years of missing their son, they felt they could no longer talk about it. When I spoke to them, both still had a sense of anger and disappointment that our government representatives had failed them. I specifically asked if they had ongoing contact or assistance from the United States Forest Service. They stated, never. There has never been one thing recovered by a search and rescue teams working the Stephen Reed disappearance. The case file is still open, and there are many other open missing person cases in this area of Oregon. The fuck? I can't say rural. 
you just did. I just did. That's fucked up. Yeah. I, I don't even know. why. To, to say, like, you have to be here in person, uh, one, go fuck yourself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, get me your That supervisor. detail right there, that that angered me so much when I first read that. Like, are your you kidding me? Your kid is missing. You, you're not going to take a report because I'm not in the state? The, like, the that, fact, that and, matters? And before that, somebody is missing. Their car is there. They contact, it's a rental, so why didn't they contact the rental company, find out who it belongs to? It's like, seriously, it's one extra phone call. Well, they call. did. They contacted the family who the vehicle was registered to. And they to. said that they sold it to the- They said that they sold it to the rental rack. So right. why didn't they call rental rack? Why didn't they find out who's renting this vehicle right now? And why didn't rent a rec update the registration? I'm just saying. I, th- I think that's the least of the, of the uh, No, I'm just saying case. it's weird that it was still registered to somebody who had sold it, it a, a rental company. It's all these weird circumstances. Yeah, and, and, and if you think about it, that's like one extra step now that pe- they have to go through to figure out who's missing. So, it's yeah. Just, it's it like is, a weird circumstance yeah. that, I don't know, it, it just seems really peculiar that... Yeah, it's just this whole thing. And that just thing. adds to it. And, yeah. and the, like, why didn't they search? Like, obviously, like, okay, somebody, like, their car is here. Let's just make sure everything's okay. To, to Did they wait. go through the box to, to, for the permits to see who's there? Like, it, it sounds like they did the bare minimum because they don't give a fuck. If that, I mean, and, and again. Or te- they're covering something up. It's one or the other. And they waited 10 days before they even attempted. Like, what do you think you're going to find? Are you either going to find somebody alive in the wilderness if they've been missing for 10 days and they were gone for a day hike? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's very, yeah, this one is just. The system absolutely failed them all. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that the search and rescue team member told the family that there's an old man that lives in the woods. Everybody knows about him. That's what I mean, though. Something like that. Where everybody knows, they just they don't know where he where he is. They don't know where his camp's set up. They don't know where to find and him. No one but they all know he's the there. Well, if there's somebody, yeah. if there's an old man that's living in the woods uh, and he doesn't want to be found, he's yeah. in the woods because he doesn't want to be found. I'm sure. It, but is it like a search camp and that rescue he can team? Move all I'm the sure, time, probably. Or, yeah. I would I would presume somebody that's living in the woods does not have you know, a DVD collection and a bookcase full of books. No, no, no. They're I'm just probably saying, like, just did they make the a shelter that they're living in, like, that's their area? Who or knows? They mo- I know, but if, it was, if he stays in one spot, he might be easier to find, is the point I was trying to get to. But if it's a search and rescue team that's coming out into the wilderness, they're not quiet. They're obviously yelling. Yeah. So uh, they're, he's going to hear them coming. He could probably just take yeah, off because he this, doesn't want to be found or, or seen. kidnapped? Maybe the old man wanted a companion. Or dinner. Who knows? Maybe it wasn't an old man at all. Maybe that was that's just something that they that the family was told and it has nothing no bearing on the case at all. But just again, something that's very it's something that needs to be considered and where it's somebody that the everybody's aware of that lives there, but nobody knows where to find him or where he's located. It's just very just a just a strange thing. And the fact that there's so many other open cases in that area mm-hmm. of missing persons. Yeah. And they have a, a psychic come and say, search this area. A reflexologist. You, what is that exactly? I thought reflexology, and you can 
anyone can correct me if I'm wrong. I thought that's like with the parts on your head and like there's different points on your head and you work on studying how like, like with touching it, it affects people. Okay. But I don't know. Regardless, if, if somebody is psychic and they're saying, check this area with a metal detector you search the area. Why wouldn't you get you, some metal detectors? You would think they'd have a metal, at least one on, on site ask, to use. Ask the volunteers, does anyone have a metal detector? Something. It's just, like, yeah, try. It's bizarre. Very bizarre. And then saying, like, the department versus the family, kind of two different stories. It's either gross incompetence and negligence, or they're hiding something. Or they're, yeah, or they're, yeah, exactly, they're covering something up. Yeah. I don't know. Well, well, we're going to take a quick break and uh, everybody think about what we just talked yeah. about. Sit in that for a little bit. Let that, let that just kind of fester in your mind and try to think what could possibly have happened to this young man. And we'll get into some more cases when we come back in just a minute. Hearers, watchers, homewreckers. Like what you're hearing or watching so far and want even more Homewrecker content? Then check us out on Supercast, where you can get more exclusive bonus content starting for as little as $5 a month. You'll get more of the content you love and also have access to exclusive episodes, listener-requested shows, watch-alongs, AMAs, plus special deals on Homewrecker Podcast merchandise and more. Visit homewreckerpodcast.supercast.com to sign up or click the link in our show notes. We really appreciate your support. We do. So hit pause and go check out homewreckerpodcast.supercast.com right now. Or click the link in the show notes. Thanks. Thanks. Let's read another case, shall we? All right. This one takes place in Maine. This is regarding David Joseph Brunig. He went missing on February 27th of 2016 at 12.05 a.m. He was 21 and this happened in Orano, Maine. Here is another classic example of a water-related disappearance. A college student, athlete, top-performing academic disappears in a downtown environment. Anyone could complete this story. The ending never changes. On November 2nd, 1994, David and Elena Brunig of Westbrook, Maine, became the proud parents of David Joseph. The young man quickly gained notoriety for putting a smile on people when he entered the room. He was described by friends and family as a young person who honestly had his act together. His friends and family called him DJ. He was a good athlete, playing on his high school's football, basketball, and baseball teams, and later was a member of the college basketball team. After graduating from Westbrook High School in 2013, he applied and was accepted to the Maine Maritime Academy, where he studied maritime engineering technology. In February 2016, DJ was a junior at the Maritime Academy and on the Dean's List. Life was treating him well, and he was on the path to success. On Friday, February 26th, the student was visiting friends at the University of Maine. He was last seen at 11.30 p.m., leaving a residence on Crosby Street in Orano. He wasn't seen by friends later that night or the following day, and a missing persons report was filed by the Hancock County Sheriff. DJ was described in 
missing person flyers as six feet, four inches tall, 225 pounds with a slim and athletic build. He was last seen wearing a black shirt, dark blue jeans, and brown Timberland boots. The sheriff's office joined forces with the main warden's service and started a search almost immediately. The wardens put dividers into the Penobscot and Stillwater rivers, had aerial flyovers, and also had canines respond. The police determined that David was trying to get from one point in the city to another to meet friends. They believed that he was going to walk across a railroad trestle that crossed one of the rivers, but this was conjecture. They pinged his cell phone and discovered the last time his cell phone was operable was 12.05 a.m. on February 27th, 35 minutes after he left the home. It was 11.30 p.m. when he left the residence, and it was less than one block to the railroad tracks, which could easily be crossed in less than five minutes. To explain the scope and effort of this search, read this April 26, 2016 edition of the Bangor Daily. Quote, For two months, search crews scoured the banks of the Penobscot River and the water as far away as Stockton Springs, more than 35 miles downstream, for clues of the missing man, end quote. There were no new developments in the missing persons case until April 22, 2016. Nine miles downstream from Murano, police recovered a body that was later identified as David. They found his wallet and driver's license in his pants. Several days after the recovery, the coroner's office made an interesting statement. He died from hypothermia and drowning. Hypothermia only occurs after extensive exposure to the cold. I encourage everyone to look at Google Maps online. Look up Crosby Street in Orono, Maine. Just to the south of the street, you will see a location titled Stillwater River Reservoir, and a few feet to the east, you will see railroad tracks crossing the river. Look at the water under the trestle. You can almost observe the rocks in the river. The implication to the rocks is, if someone fell into the water in this area, they would have severe injuries that would be noted by the coroner, and even... Without bruising, it would be very doubtful that anything would stay in pants with a fall from that height. If the water was exceedingly high, this just further goes to the point that nothing would remain in his pants. David was in the Maritime Academy and a very good swimmer. There was not a statement from the coroner that DJ had alcohol in his system or that it was a contributing factor. The lack of alcohol and drugs means to the investigator that DJ had all of his faculties. If the young man fell into the river, he must have stayed alive for a long time because of the hypothermia determination. I don't believe he died in the river in this manner due to the lack of injuries, lack of drugs or alcohol, and his athletic ability and strong swimming skills. It's also important to remember that divers had searched the river. It was flown by planes and witnesses had walked the banks for miles. There were several posts on social media about this incident. One post stated that if DJ went into the river on February 27th, he would have had to be in the ocean by April 22nd, based on the enormous flow of the river. It's approximately 25 miles from the last point DJ was seen, downriver to the Penobscot Bay and the Atlantic Ocean. I could not locate any notes about what DJ was found wearing other than he had his wallet in his pants. 
I have documented three other cases in Maine in past books. One incident involved a Maine hunter that disappeared. The person was elderly and couldn't move well. He was found days later in a reservoir nearly naked. I applaud the sheriff and Maine's warden service for making a stellar effort to locate DJ. You can't find something if it isn't there. This one left me scratching my head too. How do you die of hypothermia? So he was in the water that long that he got hypothermia? Like what? It, it just, just, yeah. And, and the fact that he's a big dude, 6'4", 225, that's a good-sized dude. Yeah. You know, he's a big guy, athletic cat, good swimmer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just... This one just, it's just, and no, no alcohol, no drugs found in the system. What happened here? What the hell happened here with this one? Did he get stuck in the water? So he just had to like. But the divers, they'd searched it with an aerial team. They'd had divers go in. Nobody saw anything. I mean, now again, I don't know this particular area in Maine. I don't know if this is like clear water, if it's, you know, we have here where we live, we have the Merrimack River, which is not the cleanest river. So I don't know how this particular river in Maine is. I don't know what the visibility uh, is or anything like that. I think a lot of rivers, it's poor visibility. But perhaps. if there's somebody in the water. You'd, you'd think, I mean, they're floating up top, right? I don't know. This, unless this one something is just, was holding them down until they bubbled up. But But I don't believe that. Again, just with the details that are in the book, I mean, I, I don't know. This one, it just it doesn't make any sense. Again, another one that makes no sense. And no. this one, he disappeared. He wasn't in the woods. This wasn't in the woods. No. This was, he's he's in town. Yeah. He's, you would think somebody would have seen something or heard something, but nothing. It's really bizarre. Do you have any thoughts on this one? What do you think well, that this could be? I, I wonder. Could this be the government taking somebody? Maybe. Because... <laughs> Maybe. If he has hypothermia, and that's how he died, was hypothermia and drowning, could could he have gotten hypothermia? Could somebody have kidnapped him, left him exposed to elements like extreme cold, and then once he was so ill from it, then threw him in the river and he drowned? I guess that's a possibility. I mean, we'd have to, I'd have to think when, that. When was the time of death? When did they say? Was it recent or, I mean, sometimes it's harder, you know, if they're in if a If they've cold, been in the water. Yeah. yeah it's kind of probably But it's like, tough. Uh, is there, I, there was no information. Right. I mean, yeah, I'm not a forensics guy, so I couldn't tell you but how any of that stuff works. But. I'm just saying it's hard to try to make some kind of analysis when you have little information. Right. And he brought up, why was it just what was in his pants, but no description of like what else he was wearing. And, and he did also bring up a good point too: the fact that the wallet was in his pants. Cause that's been brought up before like, too. And in, in other books of his, right. Where especially rivers, the way the flow of the river is, it's yeah, gonna, it's gonna, stuff's gonna come out of your pockets, yeah. you, you know. So that's why a lot of times bodies are not, they don't have ID on them. It's very, very rare. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this one, on top of everything else, that is is one of the the factors here, one of the data points. It's very just bizarre. Yeah. Like how did how this guy falls from such a height, 
is in the water for however long he's in the water for and, and his wallet and ID stay in his pants. It's very bizarre. Yes, almost like it was almost like his body was just like placed there to be found. You know what I mean? Like almost like, yeah. Like, and I mean, you can't I, rule out. Expose him to cold elements, get hypothermia and then drown him. Like not in the water. I don't know. I mean, that's true too. Was he drowned somewhere else and then placed there? Perhaps. I, all I all I th- know is I don't believe that he just fell in on his own. This doesn't seem like one of those things that he wasn't assisted in his demise. This seems like he was something. Something happened to this kid. I would say yes. The odds of that accidentally, you know, him accidentally falling yeah. in and that happening, are very, 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 very slim. Can't rule out anything. Is I can't, impossible. Yeah, we can't rule it out because nobody knows. But it just knows, seems illogical. It, right. It just doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you want to go to the next story? Let's let's carry on, shall we? We'll go to our final case here that we've selected. This one in the great state of Wyoming, a beautiful state, by all accounts. I've never been. Never been. But, but seen lots of great pictures. <laughs> it's so beautiful. We've never been, but we've <laughs> seen pictures, so we've we seen know. Pictures. This particular case is about a uh, young man named Craig Guyman. He went missing on October the 6th, 1996 in the Gross Ventre Wilderness in Wyoming. He was 47 years young at the time of his disappearance. And the uh, 411 data points here, he was a hunter, hypothermia, and canines. Again, reading right from the book, I've always stated that we need to read about incidents that may be outside our comfort zone if we are ever to understand some of the complex issues in our world. If we are to get a worldwide perspective on the missing person issue, you need to read the works of people that may not be recognized as mainstream. 25 years ago, I first met Ruben Uriarte. In the years since, I've gotten to know Ruben as a thorough and quality investigator. In 2011, he authored a book with No Torres titled Aliens in the Forest. Please don't let the title push you away as the background on the topic and the thoroughness of their research makes for a compelling case and great read. The story starts in the fall of 1964. Donald Shrum was employed by a United States military missile manufacturer. In his spare time, he liked to bow hunt in the Sierra Nevada mountains. He decided to drive to the area near Cisco Grove, California, located off of Interstate 80, approximately 25 miles west of Lake Tahoe. I won't go into the details of what happened as I'd like you to read the book, but... Mr. Shrum says that he met two very unusually dressed humanoids that chased him up a tree and then gassed him, causing him to go unconscious at the top. He states he doesn't have a memory of what happened next, but does remember waking up and the suspects were gone. The paper trail of this event What Don subjected himself to prove the veracity of his claim was impressive. I appreciate Ruben bringing this book to my attention. 
As you read the following story, you'll see the close resemblance between the two incidents. On October 6, 1996, 47-year-old Cody, Wyoming resident Craig Guyman was hunting with a group of friends in the area of Soda Lake near Pinedale, Wyoming in the Gross Ventre Wilderness. He was on horseback, as was one of his friends, and they were east of the lake. Craig took a shot at an elk, thought he hit it, and dismounted his horse to walk up, point of separation. His friend waited an extensive period and then got additional hunters to look for Guyman. The group finally gave up and contacted the Teton County Sheriff. This was the last time his friend saw him. The October 9, 1996 edition of the Jackson Hole News had details of the evolving event. Quote, Guyman's friends alerted county law enforcement early Monday. They had eight people on foot and an airplane looking for Guyman during the day. They later added search dogs to the effort, end quote. On Tuesday, October 8th at approximately 10.22 a.m., members of the Teton County search team located Guyman's body, one mile from where he was last seen. The details are explained in this October 9th, 1996 article in the Jackson Hole News, quote, it looks pretty certain he fell out of the tree, but we don't know what he was doing up there, end quote. Teton County Sheriff Roger Millward said. Again, quote, maybe he was scared and went up there and went to sleep. It might have been a bear chased him, but there, there's not an indication of that. It looks like he was up there all night, end quote. Guyman's boots, coat, and hat were still in the tree where he had apparently used his belt to tie himself fast, Millward said. There were signs Guyman had eaten while in the tree. Under the tree, there were candy wrappers and raisins, and also a trail of trash and gear, along with a short path Guyman apparently fell after falling. An autopsy was performed that showed that Craig had several broken bones, including a broken femur. The Teton County Deputy Coroner stated that the broken bones did not cause death. It was his opinion that hypothermia killed the hunter. After two days of being missing, he dies of hypothermia? Let's go through the essential facts. The hunter's boots were found, one in the tree, and one on the ground. The impact with the ground did not cause the boots to come off. They were off before he fell. This is important. His coat was found in the tree, meaning it was off before he fell. It is said that he crawled for some distance after hitting the ground, suggesting he was alive. It was also explained that he had some small amount of food for energy. There was no evidence, tracks, scat, etc., in the area indicating a bear had chased him. One of the most significant facts, the sheriff couldn't locate Guyman's gun. Hunters know that your rifle is your lifeline. When you are lost that first night, fire off three rounds. 
This means you are in distress and need assistance. Every two hours after that, fire off additional rounds, allowing searchers to find you. Searchers in this instance heard nothing. Where did his rifle go? The thought that Craig got lost in this area is unbelievable. There is a distinct up and down, east and west, with the valley he was in ending at the lake where he started. I'll never believe the hunter was lost. Some of the most unusual stories I've ever documented dealt with elk hunters. What is it about elk, the hunting grounds, or the time of the year that brings these encounters to hunters? The coroner stated that Craig did not have any known medical issues and was a healthy guy with no mental illness. The similarities between this story and what happened to Donald Trump is compelling. So are they saying that maybe a bear chased him up the tree, so he threw his gun at it, and then ate, and the bear... You know, uh, the bear took his gun, ran off yeah. with his gun. Like, what happened to the guy's gun? Right. It, it's very bizarre. Like, and why did he go in tree? There's so many missing 401 cases where people are in trees. Why are they in trees? Are they being chased up there? Like, one person he's referring to in that story it said happened. Why are they in trees? Like, it's so weird. Very, very bizarre. And then why would you be in a tree and take off your coat and your boots let me just strip down that's in this a, tree. It's a phenomenal question. Get a little more comfortable. The book that Politis mentioned in that case, I actually just ordered it before we started recording. So we'll have that. Mm. And we'll pro- I'm going to read that and we'll probably do a show on that in the future because that's very, very interesting to me. I don't like to rule anything out. I, I don't know if there's aliens. I don't think that they're they're what we're told they are mm. and by Hollywood and everything else. But I, I mean, I don't know for sure that there is or isn't. I don't. I am the type. I I am a very skeptical uh, of a lot of things, but I'm open to all things. I guess I'm just trying to rack my brain because if somebody tried to attack him, you know, to take his gun, it's like, well, he could shoot at them, and gunshots right. would be heard while people are looking for him. Correct. Yeah, and and just the fact that he he went missing so quickly yeah. and was and wasn't like you, you know what it was just. Very bizarre. He's with a group of people and the, the, the point of separation and that occurs and then he's gone. He, he can't be found. His friend can't find him. And the rest of the hunters he's with all, all gather up. They can't find him. No, I mean, yeah, again, he, he had a rifle. Mm-hmm. What happened to his rifle? Why didn't he shoot off? I'm lost. Hey, I hear you guys, but I, I don't know where you are or whatever. Or I don't hear anybody. I've been gone for a while. Fire off my rifle. Well, like, usually, yeah, because you know. what people usually do is they'll fire their, their gun. If somebody's yeah. searching, the search party, somebody will fire off their, their firearm, and then you respond by shooting off yours. So right. th- they can try to hear where the sound is coming from to right. find you. That didn't occur here. So the, the, the man goes missing. He's obviously an experienced hunter. He goes missing with a rifle, doesn't use the rifle he, but he eats in the tree. But he eats in the tree. He goes up a tree, ties himself off with a belt. So he's obviously aware, conscious, cognizant of his actions. He knows what he's doing. He's eats, eats, takes his coat off, 
takes his boots off. Like, what's he doing? Is he just, like, set up camp for the night? You know what I mean? Like, what's happening Like, there? was he going after that elk or whatever, <sighs> trying to be, like, really, like, stealth? I, I don't but, know. But, yeah, but then but he falls. Falls, breaks his leg. And crawls what? a bit, you know? Yeah. yeah, but it's just very, yeah, bizarre. Very bizarre. And he dies of hypothermia. Again, another hypothermia. And it's just, yeah, I just... <sighs> We're just going to say it's know. hypothermia, but it's not hypothermia. We're just going to say just, it's hypothermia. We're going to call it hypothermia. Was he chased up, up that tree by something or someone? Again, where where politeness mentions the similarities between this instance and the Donald Trump case, I'm very curious now to read mm. that book and to get the details of that gentleman's encounter. And apparently a, a, a very credible encounter based on everything I, I was reading about just some of the things, reading the book description and things like that, that uh, this guy went through a lot of great, he went through great effort to prove that he wasn't lying. So I, I, I can't wait to see what all that stuff, I'm sure he probably took a lie detector test and a number of other things, I'm sure. Yeah. So should be interesting. We'll find out. But yeah, this one, uh, that one was just nuts. Like what? What could have happened like, here? Is, is there something we're not getting here? Yeah, apparently. And, and again, uh, Politis has a couple of other Missing 411 books out that we have not yet gone yep. through and looked at. And uh, we're, we're going to check out some of those uh, in the future. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the elk hunters thing that he's talking about. Yeah, apparently a lot of the hunters with the real unusual circumstances. Yeah, they were elk hunting. I know there's different seasons and things like that. Is That's a great question he brings up. Is it that type of year that maybe is causing these particular things to happen to people? I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Very bizarre, very bizarre. But I don't think after, after going through these four cases or, or skimming through the book and reading other things uh, earlier on, I, I don't have any idea yet what's causing any of these disappearances. I swear, like every time we've done one of these shows in the past, I usually will say, I figured it out. And then I read another case and now I have no idea. I stopped trying to figure it out because now it's, it's once you think you have the answer, mm-hmm. it's immediate. No, but it can't be because of this. So it's just, I, I'm just, I don't know. Do you have any final closing thoughts on this? Other than that's fucked up. Other than other than that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you think it is, really? I mean, if you I, had to I, bottom line it, and you had to take a really, really, just an educated guess, are you going to stick with what you initially said that yeah. you think it's just government or or highly secret financed clandestine organi- corporations yeah. or something? Yeah, highly financed unknown organizations. All right. Experimenting. Kidnapping people and. If you're lucky enough to survive, great. And if not, oh, well. Well, think about it. Think about, like, how they used to do experiments on military and prisoners. That stuff doesn't happen as much anymore. And, I mean, I don't know. Got to get those subjects somewhere, right? Yeah. That's grisly. That's grotesque. That's just horrifying to think about. Sadly, I I think that that is probably a possibility for some of these cases. Not going to say all. No. And again, I I don't know. I'm just trying to. Well, I asked you to bottom line it and give me a guess. So I I mean, that's that's as good a guess as any. I Um, I, I got nothing. I don't know. 
at this point. I, I just, I because like okay, no idea the Donald Trump, and we're, we're, when we get the book, we'll be able to read. But again, are people trying to look like aliens, and maybe they put some kind of gas that he didn't realize to make him not see as clearly, hallucinate a little bit, to give the impression that it's aliens, but it's sure. not. I mean, who knows? Yeah, we, there was a a documentary we had watched a while back, and I'm blanking on the name of it now, but essentially there was a dis, uh, a, a government agent, a former government agent, but obviously once you're in the government, you're always in the government. And he himself said that, oh, yeah, we used to mess with people all the time. We would dress up as aliens, and we'd take them. And he was saying all this kind of stuff, and it's like, okay, is this guy telling the truth now that he's out of the military, supposedly, or is this just more disinformation misinformation yeah. just be put out there to confuse people you don't know. it's so hard to tell and that's the thing with all this stuff is there's there's never gonna be i don't think there's never gonna be any clear answers with any nope. of this stuff it's 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 almost like it's intentionally designed to keep us just searching constantly perpetually searching for answers that we're never ever gonna find it's and and the, and the the saddest thing about all of it is that there are human casualties their families oftentimes, missing their loved ones. Oftentimes young children, children. which to me is the most tragic. Uh, oftentimes just you know young adults who, who ha- are just starting their lives, mm-hmm. really just starting to get their lives going. But parents, grandparents. Parents, grandparents, hunters. I mean, yeah, just people from all walks of life. And, and uh, it's it's very indiscriminate. It's not like the, that it targets certain types of people or anything like that. It's uh, all types of people from all walks of life go missing, and it's just that's the saddest thing. And 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 the fact we have no answers is just it's maddening. Yeah. But on that note, what uh, do you think? Let us what know. are you thinking as we're reading these stories, or if you've read the books and the stories that we've shared? Like you know, we kind of gave we gave our thoughts on it. What are your thoughts? What do you think? What are you questioning that maybe we didn't bring up? Let us know. Let us know. Hit us up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We love interacting with our audience. So yes. Until next time. I am the Golden Greek Alex Arion. I've been joined as always by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing, intelligent wife, Monique. And you've been listening to the Homewrecker Podcast. We love hearing from and interacting with our hearers and watchers. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HomewreckerPod. You can also visit our website, HomewreckerPodcast.com, where you can check out past episodes and pick up some Homewrecker Podcast gear from our online store. Also, if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're hearing or watching our show. That way you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can check out the video versions of our show at YouTube and Brideon. You can also find Monique in a few places online as well. I'm on Twitter, at underscore Monique Giselle underscore. If you're interested in a tarot reading, organite, incense, candles, and other cool things, you can go to my website, tarotbymonique.com. Or if you're interested in hypnotherapy, you can go to innerstandingshypnosis.com to schedule a free 20-minute consult. And follow me on Twitter, at Monique P-C-H-T. And Alex, how can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, at the Alex Arion. 
And you can check out my website, alexarionfitness.com. And if that's too much to remember, we get it. That's why we put it all in our show notes. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we appreciate all of your support. We do. Thank you. We love you. Many people are unaware just how much hypnotherapy can help them or think it's only to help lose weight or quit smoking. But there is so much more hypnotherapy can do. It can help with stress, anxiety, insomnia, phobias, performance enhancement, connecting with your spirit guides and higher self. You can even discover past lives and your life between lives. Heal traumas, break habits, find your deepest truth, or just have fun discovering who you really are, all from the comfort of your home. I'm Monique Pliakis. I'm a certified hypnotherapist, and I want to help you. Schedule a free consult by going to www.innerstandingshypnosis.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-S-T-A-N-D-I-N-G-S-H-Y-P-N-O-S-I-S.com. Innerstandings Hypnosis. Find your power and ignite your inner light.